and welcome to When We Were Young, the podcast where we revisit the things we loved as kids growing up in the 80s and 90s and decide if they still hold up as we experience them as adults in the 2010s or the teens or whatever the hell this decade is called. Does anyone know? No. No, the the O10s were like the aughts, but mm. now we're out of the aughts. We're in the roaring teens. <laughs> I'm Becky, the podcast host most likely to always be in another castle. <laughs> I'm Chris, the podcast host most likely to disappear down a sewer pipe after eating a mushroom he found in a box labeled with a question mark. <laughs> <laughs> it's a me, Seth Pearson, the podcast host most likely to drink to prepare for a fight. Tonight, I'm very prepared. And this is Mike, the podcast host most likely to have sex with one of the other podcast hosts. Which, which one? one? <laughs> I know. That's Maybe all of the other podcasts. That's what we're going to unravel over the course of the evening here, folks. Play your cards right. We'll reveal it right now. My husband is the guest. <laughs> <laughs> so, fans of the punk rock will know me as Danger, of the band Countless Thousands, and fans of uh, the, I don't know, person will know me as Mike. There are no but, fans yeah. of that. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, Mike Van Gorder, professional husband to Becky, podcast host. He's professional because I pay him to be my husband. <laughs> <laughs> she does, in room and board. This is episode 37. Mike, have you ever heard the podcast before? <laughs> I listened to the League of Our Own one, and it's my favorite. Movie <laughs> slash podcast episode of this podcast. Cool. Thank cool. you for your patronage. <laughs> I'm a subscriber. Thank you for your Patreon. Mm-hmm. I, I was uh, I, I was an early adopter. Today we're going to be spending some quality time in Super Mario World as we take a look back at the video games we loved as kids, particularly those played on platforms Atari, Nintendo, and Super Nintendo. We'll also be revisiting the 1989 family adventure film The Wizard, which is basically a 90-minute commercial for Super Mario 3 and the Power Glove. <laughs> We decided it's a good time to revisit some of the biggest video games of the 80s and 90s just in time for the release of Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One, which is all about gaming. My name's Wade Watts. My dad picked that name because it sounded like a superhero's alter ego, like Peter Parker or Bruce Banner. But he died when I was a kid, my mom too. And I ended up here. Sitting here in my tiny corner of nowhere, There's nowhere left to go. Nowhere. Except the Oasis. A whole virtual universe. Which is the movie equivalent to a listicle. Like, that movie looks like, like, hey, you know that thing you like? Look at that. Hey, that's the thing you like. Look at that. Hey, look at the thing you like. Look at that. It just looks like the most... It looks like everything we have all ever seen all at once. Uh-huh, but like, look, all at the same time. All at the same time, guys. And it's a movie now, and you should you should like it because you're nerd culture. Because nerd culture apparently is now mainstream. Which is someone that got shit over the things that I liked my entire life. I resent So Ready Player One is based on a book by Ernest Cline, published in 2011. I'm going to tell you the basic plot of it because I'm not sure that the trailer and the marketing of the movie has really ever sold what it's about, and it makes so much more sense if you know Or the the poster where his leg is like three meters long. (laughs) His poster... It's a terrible poster because it looked like all you can see is his his body length leg. It's real weird. (laughs) Well, the original title of the novel was Body Length Leg, so... (laughs) And it is a feature-leg film. 
let the record show that I have seen a very long leg. <laughs> it's longer than his body. Why? That's not even Photoshop. That's be, the poster. It's supposed to be perspective, but they did such a bad job with it. It just looks like, oh, look at my insane left leg. Here it goes. Look, I feel like in light of this, perspective should require consent as well. It should not be forced. That leg is far too long. That was a long way to go to that joke. It took me a second to process it. Yeah. But I love it. So in 2044, the world sucks, as it usually does in movies about the future. A Steve Jobsian billionaire creates a virtual reality universe called the Oasis, which has malls, schools, entertainment, and it's an entire universe with like many planets. Like You could spend your whole life exploring it and never see the whole thing. And so in there, you have an avatar, and you can buy like a DeLorean or a TIE fighter to fly around in, drive around in. The pop culture references are very built into it. The billionaire dies and leaves behind an Easter egg somewhere in the Oasis that is his entire fortune and control of the universe, basically. The the video game universe, which is basically the real universe, because people just kind of plug into that all day, and there's no use like going around in the real world, because the environment is all dried up and everything sucks. This sounds like a Black Mirror episode. Yeah. It very well could be. What if your leg was a lot longer than a normal <laughs> leg? <laughs> That's what that Black Mirror is about. <laughs> so there's an entire generation of people, mostly teenagers, but a lot of other people too, who spend hours just researching 80s pop culture because that's when the billionaire grew up and he's really obsessed with 80s video games, movies, books, songs. So it's it's like every nerd's fantasy because people are like really super into like knowing every detail about their favorite band or game and all this like useless trivia except for in this world it's not useless because it can earn you billions of dollars hmm. so if you know like they just spend time researching all of this stuff so that when they find like the right clue or stumble upon the thing it's very much like a video game like trying to find this um Easter egg, which is... It's not entirely a nerd's fantasy, though, because nerds also crave the judgment of others. Uh, and uh, I, as evidenced by my disdain for this thing that I haven't even seen yet, and will probably refuse to see on uh, some sort of weird philosophical rounds. You're crazy. We have movie pass. We'll see everything. I don't want to see it. Look, I'll go see, I'll go see <laughs> The Last Jedi again while you go see Ready Player One, and I'll, and I'll feel super smug, and yeah. it'll be great. So yeah. Yeah. This is you the movie. <laughs> so I don't know why you're skipping it, but okay. So just to get a flavor of what kind of references are in this, the billionaire in the first chapter leaves behind a video that explains the game. It starts with Oingo Boingo's Dead Man's Party. And he's wearing a Space Invaders t-shirt. And this is just from the book. So yes. we don't know exactly mm. what's going to be in the movie. Right. And then it cuts to a school dance at a gymnasium where, like, people studied it and realized that all the extras are from John Hughes movies. And then it changes to the funeral from Heather's. And you can see, like, Winona Ryder and Christian Slater in the back. And then he shows his childhood Atari 2600. It's basically this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, pretty much. I mean, so not having any familiarity with the book, the source material, was this written as, like, a send up of that kind of hyper referential nerd culture? It's not really a send-up because it takes it pretty seriously. It's kind of a loving homage to anyone who, like, spent, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week on video games and other obscure things. real nerds hate it because uh, I just Googled and here, here, are, th- here are three articles <laughs> that popped up immediately. 
Ready Player One is a terrible book, and it will be a terrible movie. <laughs> Second opinion. Ready Player One is the worst thing nerd culture has ever produced. <laughs> On the AV Club. Here's a good primer if you're ready to hate Ready Player One. Wow. What did mm-hmm. you Google? <laughs> <laughs> I hate Ready Player One. <laughs> Player One hate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. You're so mean to this movie. <laughs> you're so mean to the faceless $500 million movie, Mike. <laughs> I just... My feelings are not actually that far off from Mike, though I'm slightly less demonstrative about them. Um, I do feel like, and I've felt like since the first I heard of this movie, like it was the most overt millennial cash grab since like since yesterday well yeah well and since the announcement of another like star wars trilogy like it's it's not like we're not surrounded by that my point was that there are a lot of millennial cash grabs and i don't really think this one is that different right stranger things like it's just it's all the but those can, those can be really really good. I just feel this like this could be really really good too. I mean, they make I'm the trailer of just like, look, it, it's nine things you already know, you already like, and there are heroes in this world. Yeah, well, and like to compare, like Family Guy and Simpsons, kind of one does a more overt way of referencing pop culture things. But I think to what Chris you were saying earlier that that does seem actually, especially rewatching that trailer just now, that does seem more a product of the trailer and their marketing campaign for it, where they're really trying to hype up the aspect of like, hello, potential ticket buyer, audience member. Yeah, the book actually doesn't have most of the references that it looks like the trailer does. Like it, it says like, oh, I studied this and, but it, it doesn't have like characters really from other things in it. So I think that the movie is a departure in a lot of ways, but I'm hoping that it maintains the same thing where, like, this is all for a purpose and it's all about kind of, like, researching these things and knowing them and, you know, that it kind of celebrates that sort of deep knowledge of pop culture that we obviously like here on the right. podcast. Mm. Well, and also that you can't turn that into actual currency in this world. Yeah. <laughs> Celebrates or monetizes. We'll find out when we go see it with our movie pass. (laughs) You'll find out. (laughs) So, Mike, what consoles did you own and what games did you play? And tell me like I don't already know. I'm happy to provide this information to you, Rebecca. (laughs) Here we go. When I was eight, I got my first communion as the first step into the Catholic Church, which was very exciting in the sense that I was given several checks by my relatives. And I took those checks and I got myself an NES. Uh, which was already outdated by the time I got it, which is very sad. But yeah, I got an NES when I was, I can't remember if I was six or eight at First Communion. I had an NES uh, for a very, very long time. And I remember I went over to my aunt's house and went over to some friend's house because they had Super Nintendo. I'm like, this is amazing. This is worlds beyond. Eventually, I got an N64 in, I want to say like 1997, uh, a year or two after it had been out for a bit um, because I was able to actually save up money at that point. Um, eventually I kind of inherited, uh, a PlayStation 2, because when I was a kid, my cousin Brian, my older cousin Brian, had all of the video games. First, he was my older cousin, he was older than me by about four years. He had all the coolest stuff. So when I'd go over and have sleepovers at, at my cousin's house... That sleepover just translated into me playing Cousin Brian's game and him watching me play it and be like, oh, no, 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 don't don't get that power-up. It's not as good as the other power-ups. And that's how we bonded as children. <laughs> it was amazing. We're both indoor kids. Um, <laughs> eventually, I got a PlayStation 2 that played all of my favorite PlayStation 1 games um, as, like, Final Fantasy Tactics, 
Final Fantasy VII. And I had a PlayStation 2 through my early adulthood until I got a an Xbox 360. Now I have an Xbox One and a Wii. The Wii is letting me crack into all of the old school NES games. You play a lot of video games still. Like you... Is that is that a is that a criticism? No. As a, no. From a wife to a husband? No, it's an observation. I'm sorry, listener. We have my wife and I. We have a lovely dynamic. We have a very <laughs> wonderful relationship. Where Mike talks and I try to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you're the host and I'm the guest. Gives me a position of privilege. And uh, yeah. might disagree. Yeah. I do play a lot of video games, um, although recently um, I've really gotten into a hole where I basically just play FTL on my on my iPad, which is a masterpiece of minimalist game design. I love it so much. Seth, what games did you play? The history of my gaming love pretty much begins and ends with the Nintendo Corporation. <laughs> the Nintendo Entertainment System was my first video game console of my own. We did have an Atari 2600 in our house, but it was like my parents and they would let me play it, but I never really saw it as my own. So I got an NES for Christmas. It must have been in like 89, 90-ish Christmas, 89 or 90. Not too many Christmases after that, I got a Game Boy. So like I had the OG versions of the NES and the Game Boy. Was Um, it gray? Was it the gray? It was was absolutely, it was the gray one. This was before any kind of alternate colors or any of that stuff. I did forget to mention, I had a Game Boy. Most of the games I obsessed about as a kid were on the Game Boy. Because that was like, we could retreat into our rooms and just play the Game Boy until the batteries ran out. Yeah, like as another indoor kid, I have to say, much of my gaming time was spent alone. It would be a way that I would pass the time, and also, I would only later come to learn, was kind of a way to isolate myself. But yeah, I had the original Nintendo and the Game Boy. I had a lot of different NES games, because I had a relative who owned a pawn shop, so we would be able to get games relatively cheaply, and there were things that weren't necessarily brand new but weren't too old. So that was also the way that I ended up getting later consoles. So I had the Nintendo, the original Nintendo for several years, then switched up to the Super Nintendo. And like part of that was kind of a rite of passage in a sense, because when I would get that later newer console, I would give up all the games that I had for the other one. But I played the hell out of all of them, so I was kind of ready to let them go and get new games that were cool and different. So I moved up to the Super Nintendo. I eventually later got a Game Boy Color and like the Game Boy Pocket. There were a couple different versions of the Game Boy that started coming out. And the Nintendo 64 I got basically the moment it came out. And that... I still have my Nintendo 64, and some of the games that I fell in love with on that platform, I still totally love. What are some of those games? GoldenEye is one of those games. It's a James Bond game that's a really... Super Mario 64. Super Mario 64 was great. It was like one of the first really massive kind of 3D-based games made with a familiar franchise like Mario. I loved the Zelda game that was on the (sighs) Nintendo 64, Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time! Masterpiece! Another, I think, I would agree. It's a masterpiece. Smash Brothers was another one that I really love because that kind of took the Street Fighter formula of like all these characters that you get to play as and fight against each other, but with Nintendo characters. 
So, Chris, what games did you play? <laughs> I have a vague memory of a playing Atari. I don't know if we really owned it, but it was like in the 80s. And either way, I don't remember it very well. I remember playing arcade games at the skating rink Patterson's West, which is a very cherished place from my childhood for <laughs> everyone. Pretty much every social occasion we had was at the skating rink. And it was also kind of doubled as an arcade. I think it was the only arcade I ever remember going to. So there is where I played like the Simpsons arcade game. Ninja Turtles Arcade. Yeah. That was one another, yeah. It's a good one. So that might have been around the same time that I got my first Nintendo NES. So I played uh, Duck Hunt. <laughs> did you put the gun next to the TV screen like I did? I did sometimes, but no, usually I was a good sportsman about it. <laughs> <laughs> now, Chris, were there any like Chuck E. Cheeses or any kind of places like that? Because that's where Seth, I would please, usually Chuck play. Chuck E.'s Cheese. <laughs> Charles Edward. Jeez. <laughs> Almost. Because uh, that's where I would play a lot of arcade games myself. Yes. I did go to Chuck E. Cheese, but I think I was more into, like, the show. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, Skee-Ball? Then Maybe. Then I don't remember playing game? games there. <laughs> You're trying to rescue him, Becky, but don't. What? I remember what do you enjoying like animatronic the games? theatrics of it no, all. I, I agree. I, I'm there with you. I'm there with you. I don't remember playing video games there. Maybe I did. I actually went to Chuck E. Cheese actually over Christmas break this year because <laughs> oh. my niece is now old enough to go there. And I had not been there since I was probably six. I don't know. Whatever age you stopped going there. Does it hold up? If you're six, yeah. Like okay. It, it, held, it held up for her and it holds up as an adult watching a child enjoy it. Like, I didn't personally have the time of my life there. Mm, But I enjoyed the nostalgia factor. I would not, like, go back frequently. It's a a special, like, once a year thing. It's not a CNBC kind of place, the Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) No. Yeah, I was entranced by the animatronics as well, Chris. But you were an animatronics and ball pit kind of guy? Yes. Oh, I loved me some ball pits. So I, like everyone else, played Mario. I know we rented games from the video store probably more than I actually owned them. Because I remember Zelda and the, like, very shiny gold. Yeah. That seemed like, I was like, this is too expensive. We couldn't possibly buy this. (laughs) But we would rent that one. I had Little Nemo Dream Master. Does anyone remember that I totally remember that. That was one of my favorites, I think. And I just, like, when I was trying to rack my brain for old video games, I didn't think of a single one besides those like, three really famous ones, except for Little Nemo. That was the only other one that I could actually summon in my mind. But I know I also played the Ninja Turtles game and a Chip and Dale game, I found. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, there was a lot of, like, Disney stuff. I know that I rented a lot of games, too, but mainly I was a Super Mario brother from another mother because I was really (laughs) loyal to that whole series. I never actually owned Super Mario 2, but I did rent it frequently Mm -hmm. and played it a lot. And... It might have been my favorite, or maybe it was my favorite because it was kind of a treat, because like we had to actually go rent it. It probably would have been cheaper to just buy it. <laughs> After, like, three weeks. Yeah. I think it would have been. We probably spent $400 on that <laughs> <laughs> And then I loved Super Mario 3, like everyone else when it came out. It was really very playable, very fun. Like, just the world of it, it kind of became its own language, I think. We... We were just talking about Tanuki suits. <laughs> Tanukes. And uh, apparently, we did not know this before the podcast, a Tanuki is a kind of raccoon dog thing. It's an actual animal, folks. It's From pretty Japan. cute. Yeah. I was also a subscriber to Nintendo Magazine. 
Oh, Nintendo Lordy. Power. Nintendo I Power. I believe that, yes. Mm-hmm. Nintendo Power. I am amazed I didn't get a tattoo of that on my forehead as a child. <laughs> what were the articles in this? Or was it just centerfolds of Mario? <laughs> I read it for the articles, yeah. Or is it just cheat codes? Like, Or does it talk about, like, this game's coming out? Like, what, what was actually in the magazine? It, it would, like, it would show you, like, here's the first level. And, like, it would have the screens of the levels. Because it was still, like... Most video games at that point were still right to left, sort of side-scrollers, and it was possible to print, like, an actual map in its entirety of a level. So some of their cheat codes would just be like, here's where an extra life is. Here's mm-hmm. where the power-up is. Here's a secret area up top over here, and you go, oh, awesome. I don't know if you did this too, but I totally did this with the Nintendo Power magazine. I'd read it and like just sort of enjoy a game I didn't own and would never own. Games I never played, I still knew because of Nintendo Power. Hmm. I have no memory of what the magazine was. I'm not sure I ever actually read anything in it. I probably just flipped through it. I don't know. Just like how many, how long were you a subscriber? At least a few years. Like I remember having a giant stack of them. You wasted so much of your parents' money. So did you. Everyone did. <laughs> Two years of a magazine subscription is like 30 bucks, Becky. Come on. But in 1980s money. <laughs> How much could a magazine cost? $40? <laughs> I'm sorry, not everyone had parents who stole things for them. pay-per-view. <laughs> I was a Nintendo Power subscriber for a long-ass time, and I still have, or rather, my sweet, long-suffering mother still has in uh, storage many boxes of Nintendo Power. I don't know why. I don't know why. At this point, they're artifacts. The the contents of my previous room, uh, because we sold the old house that I grew up in. I'd be Um, interested to see these magazines. Yeah, I mean, most of them are pretty minty fresh condition, I have to say. Um, But I used it, so similar to what Mike was saying, I used it um, to kind of check out games that I know I would not buy, that I, like, knew I didn't really want to get. And I would also use it to, like, check out games that I would want to get next and, like, plan that out. Um, As well as it would have kind of not just, like, first-level guides. A lot of times, like, sometimes they would put in the map for a whole game, and it might be for a game where you didn't necessarily, as a character, have access to a map of the whole game. Um, So there would be aspects of the the kind of gaming experience that would be improved just by having that magazine around. As far as my family goes, we're a very technologically savvy family. We had computers. <laughs> Gloater. We had computers right from the very beginning. like the 60s? Know, <laughs> so you hired a person to compute for you? Yes. We had Atari. I think I was too young to actually use it, but I would watch my sister. That's really the theme of my history with video games, is I would watch my sister play video games. You were a watcher. Yeah. I I um, have lots of friends who were just (laughs) video game watchers. A video game voyeur, if you will. We had a we had an Atari um, that I remember. It lived in my sister's room, so it was really like her gaming system. We had a Nintendo, an NES, um, and we had Super Mario One and Two, not yeah. Three. Super Mario Two, I loved watching, and I think it was just because it came out a little bit later, and I was a little bit older, so I remember it better. I remember sitting there watching her play and trying to beat this game and. The thing with old games is that you can't save them. So you always have to start from the beginning. So if you actually, I remember when she finally made it to the end, like I was just like on the edge of my seat and I was just like, ah, like, you know, (laughs) cheering or like covering my face. Is she finally going to do it? And then when she did it, we were just like, ah, 
like cheering and like we couldn't believe it and then spoiler alert for Super Mario 2 it ends with like it was all a dream Ugh, or... such a letdown the Dallas no, I ending. liked yeah. it I just thought it was like fun and because the first Mario was kind of basic like it was just like very pixelated basic you won the end you know what I mean yeah. and this had like a whole like ending thing like it had ending music and like Mario sleeping and the graphics were the I never really played Mario 2 like if I played it I maybe got like three levels in before I died or got bored like playing it myself but the graphics for Super Mario 2 just make me so happy they're really like cute graphics yeah as a dear listener uh i gotta tell you when my darling wife calls me her ringtone is the super mario 2 theme yes i requested it yeah I never really played any Mario, but then I remember, I think it was either sixth grade Hanukkah or sixth grade my birthday that my mom gave me a Super Nintendo, (gasps) and the game that came with it was Donkey Kong Country. And that is one of the two games I've played and completed (laughs) in my entire life, like video games. Um, The other one is The Lion King. I love that game. For both of those, I owned, like, the hint guides Mm -hmm, um, because they mm -hmm. came with it, and I... I don't think Lion King you could save your game, but Donkey Kong Country you could because it was very long. Um, So you could save your game at some point. I think you had to reach a certain level and then you could save it. And that was helpful because (laughs) it wasn't that good. But it's funny because um, we all got together and played a lot of these games. And I'm pretty good at Donkey Kong Country now because I actually played it. I can attest to that. And completed it. It's weird to watch. And I just really like it. I always loved the music. The music in Donkey Kong Country is amazing. Yeah, yeah it's so great. Donkey Kong Country and Super Mario 2 yes. is like legitimately like... Koji Kondo is the guy that wrote almost all the music for the Nintendo and Super Nintendo games. And he's a straight up genius. Super Mario 2, like even even Super Mario Brothers, like the console original is amazing. The music to, to Zelda holds up. Yes, he's actually still active in Nintendo. He's only in his mid-50s. Wow. Koji Kondo was in his 50s? Yeah. That's amazing. Was he in his 20s when he was composing this stuff? Guess so. For the 80s? Oh, my gosh. He mostly works as a um, music supervisor now. Wow. um, But he was a composer for all of the early Mario games and Zelda. Yeah, I think he's a genius. Like, I love 8-bit music. Absolutely. Well, and it's like that music elevates those games so much, even on the original Nintendo, but that kind of brought me into, like, thinking about the technological differences. Because there was such a leap, not just in the, like, scope of these games and the size of them, but especially, like, in the graphics and in the music between the Nintendo and the Super Nintendo. And then again, from the Super Nintendo to the 64. Like, music plays a central part of Ocarina of Time, which is what I think is, is the thing that makes it a masterpiece 
Yeah, but Becky, I don't want to sleep on this. Like, completing Super Mario 2 is a ridiculous accomplishment that (laughs) in my childhood I never would have dreamed of. Um, (laughs) To the extent that I would like, I would do things because there were not save points. I would leave my console on. I would, like, turn the TV off and go some fuck off for a while (laughs) and come back. I mean, I... I feel very anxious playing video games, which is why I need (laughs) to have um, unlimited lives and like unlimited invincibility, depending on the game, to be able to play them. Because I, as the people in this room have now seen (laughs) when I play video (laughs) games, is I start screaming. Yeah. So I want to talk about the history of video games for a little bit. The first true video games were developed in the 1950s. A series of games generally simulating real-world board games were created at various research institutions to explore programming, computer algorithms, human-computer interaction. They were for studying, basically. So possibly the first video game created simply for entertainment was 1958's Tennis for Two, featuring moving graphics on an oscilloscope. An oscilloscope is just literally the tool that you use to kind of evaluate circuits and see if stuff is working. Okay. Coin-operated arcade games appeared in the 1970s. The first arcade game was called Computer Space, released in 1971. It 19- sounds on the nose. <laughs> it sounds really, really... Not like the most fun thing. <laughs> Flat plane, the game. <laughs> Blank screen. <laughs> in 1972 came the incredibly successful Pong, developed by a new company called Atari. The first home video game console was called the Magnavox Odyssey. Atari were the first people to come out with the big consoles. Like, we think of console video games now as, like, an Xbox or PlayStation, but the console was its own, uh, like, the old, t- like, you think of the, you go to an arcade, that's a console. Um, in Atari, when they were when they were putting together Pong for the first time for, for sale uh, in bars and stuff, they basically, over a weekend, invented the, that, what we think of as a video game at an arcade. Like that setup with the the station and the and the, and the control the cabinet. Why did they only the have a weekend? They just threw it together like we need to figure this out how to take our idea and put it out for commercial use, and wow. they just they just they just basically shit it out really really quickly, wow. and it ended up being the, the complete standard for an industry. So I'm uh, I want to talk about Atari a little bit. Nolan Bushnell and Ted Dabney were the designers and builders of the game Computer Space, and they launched their new company Atari in 1972. They hired Al Alcorn as their first designer engineer. Uh, Bushnell asked Alcorn to produce an arcade version of Magnavox Odyssey's tennis game, and that would be called Pong. Mm. Uh, the word Atari is used in Japan when a prediction comes true or when someone wins a lottery. Oh. Oh. So it's kind of a nice word. So it's basically the Japanese equivalent of Ray. Or Bazinga, if you will. Uh, I will not, Bazinga. (laughs) So their first home gaming console was the Atari 2600. For $199, which is equivalent to $856 in 2017, the set included a console, two joysticks, a pair of paddles, and the game Combat. Would you pay that today for... Video for, game console? for only one more paddle, I would pay that price. <laughs> Guys, we pay that for phones. So, yeah, well, but that's that's interesting though because I never thought of it as kind of relating at a price level to something like an iPhone or something like that. But that's what the equivalent price yeah, is. Like that iPhone comes with a lot more. <laughs> yeah, that too. You can play Pong in an iPhone. Yeah, it has every game. Ever made. They didn't. It wasn't like an either or. It wasn't like, do you want this Atari or an 
iPhone. They probably would have pitched the iPhone. It was not available. So I have an Atari commercial, um, a Star Wars Atari commercial oh, right Jesus. here. So what's so funny about that for me is just the the Atari <laughs> design is comparatively to today the most basic thing ever. And this guy is like, whoa, look at the graphics. Ah. Some game. Yeah, it's like all wireframes <laughs> from, you know, 1989. Yeah. Yeah, they clearly had to have him being as excited as humanly possible in order to, like, sell the idea that this was exciting. Because it was not already a given that video games were exciting. <laughs> Maybe some people thought it would be lame. Well, I mean, the, so, the, the, mark, like the market was huge. The market was absolutely huge. People were... People were buying these hand over fist, um, so much so that, like, they were, like, when Atari finally kind of ate itself with the uh, production of E.T., they put out millions of copies of the video game. Yeah, Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the E.T. game. Mike, I think you know a lot of this history. Atari, after Pong, after Asteroids, after Centipede, after Frogger, like, it was in, you know, every upper-middle-class home in America. It was huge. Oh, we have some stats for that. Yeah, yeah, let's hear So in 1976, Bushnell sold Atari to Warner Communications for an estimated 28 to 32 million. He went on to found Chuck E. Cheese. Oh. What? <laughs> Bushnell's got his hands yep. in everything. Oh my gosh. At its peak, Atari accounted for a third of Warner's annual income and was the fastest growing company in the US in US history at the time. Yeah, I mean look. So that's it, how successful. We it see was. it in Blade wow. Runner, don't we? Uh, right? yeah, it's yeah. Blade Runner, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Like it was at the time it was like a complete cultural powerhouse. And it's no- still in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. It still <laughs> yes. exists. Yeah. yeah. It was a nice <laughs> nod. True. Um, no, but like, yeah, uh, Ataris were, you know, expensive for the time, but like a huge, huge, huge deal. And for a long time, they were super dominant. Um, and, and the, the nail in the coffin was when they made Pitfall and Pitfall was supposed to be basically Indiana Jones and you were able to play Indiana Jones. It's going to be amazing. And I remember as a kid in like 1992 and I'd already played, uh, Nintendo and even Super Nintendo to play Pitfall at that point was like, this is bullshit. But like, apparently when it came out, Pitfall was hot. I, I guess at some point, Steven Spielberg said like, you did it. You took Indiana Jones and you turned it into a game. And I'm so impressed. And he was so impressed that they immediately sold the rights to his next movie, which ended up being E.T., when it shook out, like, they didn't really finalize the details of selling the rights to Atari as neatly as they would have liked, and it took some negotiation, and they wanted to make sure that they got the game in, out in time for the big Christmas rush. And unfortunately, negotiating the rights to E.T. took them so long that they basically had... In my research, I heard it was two days. <laughs> okay, week a total weekend. Yeah. Figure out what ET the game is in a weekend. It literally it was like cramming the night before the test. <laughs> yeah. Except <sighs> releasing a gigantic yeah. adaptation of what would be a huge blockbuster movie yeah. into a video game. Like a like a movie that had that had sold millions of tickets at that point was then expected to be a game, but like Spielberg shot ET over the course of many months. And they had literally two days to produce this game. So the video game ended up being a complete failure because it was so poorly coded. The object of the game was really like P. 
people couldn't figure out what to do. Like they think the 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 point of it was you need to put together different pieces to create ET's phone so he could phone home. Right. But and then there were like government people on your on like trying to track him down. And uh, he would fall into these pits, and the right. game was so badly designed that he couldn't get out of the pits. You, yeah, <laughs> that's that's the thing. Is like the whole game amounts to you fall in a pit and you don't get out of the pit. Yeah. I don't know if any of y'all yeah. have played the ET Atari no. game, but that is exactly what it is. <laughs> that and that's not like the end of. Uh, fuck ups in designing and programming games, but, but like it is this one the was the landmark. It of, is. It absolutely is. And, and this was, and this became not just like one big flop for a company. This basically ended up being a death knell for Atari. Yeah, right? it killed Atari because they had produced so many copies of this game, and people, after buying the game for like sixty bucks in nineteen eighty, <laughs> whatever's. Um, after buying the game and playing the game and then getting stuck and then realizing, oh, this game is garbage, uh, they would go back to the store and return the game. And so many stores took those returns that eventually um, the uh, they lost millions and millions of dollars on this game that w- not only – I mean it sold, but it didn't stay so- sold – Right. And word spread so fast that, like, yeah, they wound up with millions of copies of this game that was complete garbage. So, like, in the space of two weeks, Atari was done. Like, the rumor was they buried millions of copies in the desert. It's true. Yeah. And, and <laughs> it ended up being true. <laughs> like, they fit, like uh, recently there was a, a documentary Atari game over about E.T. and how it killed Atari. And... Uh, And I recommend you watch it because it's absolutely hilarious. Yeah. So let's go into Nintendo now that Atari is dead and gone. (laughs) (laughs) Buried in a field somewhere. R.I.P. Atari. (laughs) So Nintendo was founded as a playing card company by Fusajiro Yamauchi. I'm I'm sorry (laughs) for that pronunciation. In September 1889 in Kyoto, Japan. The word Nintendo can be translated as leave luck to heaven. Oh, that's cool. In 1956, the grandson of Fusajiro Yamauchi, Hiroshi, visited the U.S. to talk with the United States Playing Card Company, which was the dominant playing card manufacturer here. He found that the biggest playing card company in the world was only using a small office in the U.S. He realized that the playing card business had limited potential, and it was a turning point for him to try other things with Nintendo. In the 1960s, some of the businesses Nintendo opened include a TV network, a taxi service, uh, a food company, what? a toy company, and a love hotel chain. <laughs> I'm sorry. Love hotel. Yes. So. Nintendo love hotel. So Nintendo was the Amazon of its time. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And also the red light district. <laughs> what is a love hotel? It's only a matter of time before Amazon opens, like, a prostitution <laughs> Amazon come and go. Uh, Amazon it, slime. Amazon primal. <laughs> <laughs> yes! No, no. Seth Lights. That counts. All right, so Nintendo also set up a light gun machine in arcades based on one of the toys they developed, um, and that's when Nintendo became serious about the emerging arcade gaming market. Mm. 
the release of Donkey Kong in 1981 was the big first success for Nintendo. The game was the first introduction of the character of Mario, who was known as Jumpman in Japan. The NES, or Nintendo Entertainment System, launched in North America in 1985. The game Super Mario Brothers was one of the first games released with the console, and it's one of the best-selling video games of all time. The original NES version of Super Mario Brothers has sold 40 million copies. Wow. It's the fifth best-selling video game ever. Uh, I'll tell you. I, do you want to take a guess at what you think is in the top five besides Super Mario Brothers? It's not other Super Mario Brothers? No. Halo? Nope. Mist? Nope. Wait, 40 million copies. And, he, and it's the fifth. Yes, Tetris is number one. Yeah, te- Tetris was a landmark. Tetris sold 170 million copies. Tetris is also the first thing that the United States allowed to import from the Soviet Union. Hmm. So it was a, a diplomatic win on top of everything else. And then th- when they packaged it with a Game Boy, it just created a huge sensation. What other what other games are in the top five, though? I'll just tell you. Number two is <laughs> Minecraft with 144 million. Hmm. Number three is Grand Theft Auto V with 90 million. Huh. Number And number four is Wii Sports with 82 million. Oh, yeah. Because Wii Sports came with every Wii. Yeah. yeah, that's true. So Super Mario Brothers is actually based off of Mario Brothers, which was an arcade game with Mario and Luigi battling against one another. Super Mario their brothers. <laughs> yeah. It was a tale of sibling rivalry. Super Mario Brothers released in 1985. It's the classic game we all know with Mario trying to save Princess Toadstool from King Koopa or Bowser, and she's always in another fucking castle. <laughs> There's eventually a castle that she's in. Following the success of Super Mario was Super Mario Brothers 2 in 1988 and Super Mario Brothers 3 in 1989. And then a whole bunch of other Mario games after that, too. <laughs> and at the it same time up. with the Game Boy, um, I think Super Mario Land came out in 90 or 91 in Super Mario Land 2, the six golden coins. Wait, are these Game- real games? Yeah, they There's are. a Super Mario Land and World? On Game Boy. Oh, yeah, the one on Game okay. Boy, the version on Game Boy was called Super Mario Land. Yeah, and like... The Game Boy came out in, I want to say, 90 or so. I think it was like 89. 89? Okay. For a ton of people, that was our connection to video games. I got the, the NES and the Game Boy at the same, basically at the same time, but the games that really mattered to me were the Game Boy games. Super Mario Land 2 is amazing. It still holds up. It's like, amazing. That was yeah. absolutely one of my yeah, favorites. Yeah, it was really, really good. It introduced Wario, among many other things. Um, but I mean, like these, these were things that you could squirrel away. Like even if you were going camping with your friends on like, uh, <laughs> why talk to your friends? Boy Scouts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was a, uh, Link's Awakening on Game Boy, which yes, was indeed. also a, a landmark. Link's Awakening is really good. Also another one of those games where it turns out that you were dreaming the whole time, which boo. But I mean like, yeah, don't, don't sleep on the Game Boy games. Okay, I, I, I personally never played them myself, but... I had a yellow Game Boy, so I obviously got them once they were attractive enough for me to buy one. Did you get a Pokemon? Pokemon Red or Blue? Uh, no, I have never dealt with anything Pokemon ever. We'll go into Pokemon later, but mm. but I do think it's worth uh, spending some time on Mario because that didn't just become like a best-selling kind of hit video game. It became a kind of franchise vehicle for Nintendo, just like Zelda did later on. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, for the purposes of this podcast, you know, we went back and replayed Almost all the Mario games we could get mm-hmm. our hands on. Yeah, so how was that for you guys, playing these games again as adults? I have to say, I still love playing all of those games. 
Um, I noticed things that, of course, I wouldn't have noticed at the time. Um, and it really comes down to like the technological limitations of the different platforms. So like playing Super Mario 1 and 2 and 3, the old Nintendo versions, I have a version of the first Mario game from my Game Boy. And even on that, with its kind of slightly newer technology, there's still a big lag between when you're like pushing the button and when Mario is actually moving around and jumping. So I remembered kind of for the first time realizing that I really like part of getting really good at those video games, especially those older ones is like learning to compensate for the lag and the limitations of this very slow hardware. Mm -hmm. But I immediately noticed when we switched to like the super Nintendo versions of the games. And of course, like N64 that like that was gone and especially playing super Mario world on the super Nintendo. It was like a pure, pure joy. And, not just like in terms of the gameplay and mechanics, but in terms of the music too. Like it just, I got a feeling, Becky, like you were saying, like watching Super Mario 2, like I got a feeling like hearing the music from Super Mario World just kind of feeling calm. And it wasn't like particularly a nostalgia. It was just like, a you know, it's the feeling you get when you play a really good game. It's kind of unfair to compare Mario 3 to Super Mario World. They, like, I played them at the same time, and so I never cared for Super Mario 3 because I so preferred Super Mario World. Why? Because Super Mario World is such a, it's a much more mature game. There's so much more happening. The graphics are better. It's aware of itself in a way that, like, a lot of the other the earlier games aren't. Super Mario 3, I think, was when games started to be aware of themselves. What does that mean to be aware of itself? I mean, like, between, like, save points, power-ups, hidden stuff, like, Super Mario 3 defined all that stuff. But since I'd played them both at the same time, I just prefer Super Mario World because graphics are better. It's more fun to me. Uh, you get Yoshi in Super Mario World. Yoshi's pretty cute. Yeah, but, like... Is there Tanuki in Super Mario there World? There is no Tanuki okay. in Super Mario so World. So inferior. No. <laughs> like, some of the, the straight-up weirdness they kind of left behind when they entered uh, the the Super Nintendo era. Because there's some stuff in 2 and 3 that's so weird. I love it. I remember in (laughs) Super Mario 2, Birdo was the mini-boss. And I remember as a kid reading the the instruction manual, because instruction manuals to video games as a kid were amazing. Um, But Birdo (laughs) is the mini-boss. Like, they describe Birdo as, like, he is a boy that thinks he is a girl, and he spits eggs at you. I'm like, what the, what? Okay. <laughs> like, for real, like, it's a weird transgender thing. Like, it spits <laughs> eggs at you out of its mouth. It's very confusing. Mario um, 2 is like a drug trip of a yeah, game. Yeah, I love it. It's almost, it really a comfort. Love it. it's almost a comfort when it wakes up and it's all a dream. <laughs> yeah. As an adult watching it now playing it now it's like this is less weird that it's a dream because this is some nightmarish stuff that like I'm what like, besides birdo what are the other weird things and there's those two? like things with like hockey looking masks or whatever then they shoot bullets out of their mouths yeah well and i mean like, oh yeah shy yeah. guys 
Yeah. Shy yeah. guys. Killing things with vegetables is weird. Yeah. It is strange. Oh, they're like throwing turnips. The whole slate of weapons and characters are like totally different, not just from previous Mario games, from all other Mario games. It feels yeah. very different. Because and- originally it wasn't going to be a Mario Brothers game. They were marketing it as a completely different game at first when they were shopping it around. And then I guess uh, Shigeru Miyamoto saw it and said, you know what, let's just call this Mario Brothers 2. Because in Japan, Mario Brothers 2 ended up like we know it now as Super Mario Brothers The Lost Levels. It was an obscurity game to us. It's in the Super Mario Brothers All Stars Super Nintendo game, which is also available on uh, the Wii. We know it as The Lost Levels. In Japan, they know it as Super Mario Brothers 2. We in America know Super Mario Brothers 2 as that weird thing where you use vegetables to defeat your enemies. Like, Shigeru Miyamoto saw it as, uh, well, let's just package this as Mario Brothers 2, write some new, like, put put our own sprites into it with Mario, Mario, Luigi, Toad, and Peach, and those are your protagonists. And that's so, one way it's different as well, is that you can no play Goombas. as each of the characters. There's oh, no yeah. Goombas, there's no Turtles. Peach, Peach all the way, Princess Peach all the way. Peach. She floats, it's she really floats. helpful. Yeah. Now, all right, let's go around the room, though. Uh, who's your preferred character for Super Mario Brothers 2? Peach. Peach. Let's just say Peach. Okay. Yeah. This so is a Peach household. It's, it's not Mario. Here, I'm here, look, <laughs> I'm here to disagree with all y'all because my my main man was Luigi. He's too fluttery. His I identified uh, with... <laughs> Did you often jump too high and no, 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 flutter no, your arms in the dog with motion? Being not, with number two. You know, I was, the, I, was the, I was the younger child. I wasn't good at anything except video <laughs> games. Like Luigi. You wore green coveralls yeah. all the time. <laughs> no, no, no. There were blue coveralls and a green shirt. Um, <laughs> I like I identified with being the the with being the second player with with being two player. Uh because yeah, like as a as a let's let's just say I was a child loser. And Luigi <laughs> And I was a princess. Yeah. Like I so, like in my car right now is a blanket that my mom made for me when I was I don't know ten years old. Um, that it that has Luigi on the front. It's like other design from Super Mario Brothers two, and she made the blanket well enough that it's lasted low these twenty years or so. Um, but and, we can all agree that Mario was like, why would you play with who, Mario? Yeah, who, cares who plays about with Mario? Mario? Mario sucks. Mario is like a vestigial tail in that game. He you know, is I think not needed that- by anyone. I think that I had a Luigi thing too because I was Luigi for Halloween in second grade. Oh, man. <laughs> there are pictures somewhere, but they're, I don't know if they're digital. So but scan them. Gonna be. Because, <laughs> because, That's up to my mom. Because these, he is the eternal underdog. He's overlooked in the Mario universe. He's not even in Super Mario Brothers sixty four, and yet in Super Mario Brothers, and sorry, in uh, uh, Smash Brothers, he's like the best character. And I will own anybody here or any challenger listening to our podcast now. Oh, our podcast. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Notice how quickly this becomes a shared podcast. Donate to our as in like, this is what we're doing right now. Sorry, Mike, but your podcast is in another castle. (laughs) If anyone wants to contribute enough to the Patreon, I will play Super Mario Brothers Smash and I will own you. I'm just saying. Challenge accepted? For our, for our $100 Challenge a month noted. subscribers. <laughs> $100 a month? I will, yeah, exactly. For $100 wow. bucks a month. Uh, if Shit, you want to go on the Patreon, on I'll, play, I'll play Smash Brothers and we'll be best friends. So playing these games again <laughs> this time, I realized that nothing's changed. <laughs> 
am playing these games, particularly the ones about save points or cheat codes, um, is a really anxiety-filled uh, nightmare for me. Yeah. <laughs> but they're still She's fun, She's not right? exaggerating. She was <laughs> screaming during the game. We will play you some audio no. of Becky playing the game. Did you get audio? I got audio. I was oh, on the but I'm small. <laughs> what happened? I got small after being big. <laughs> I did it. I am so good. I'm so good at this. <laughs> Why can't I do it? <laughs> You can jump on them. Just fuck you. (laughs) Now, I I should also say, in the interest of fairness, I did transcribe one thing that Chris yelled out because it was too perfect to miss, and that was, "If I was a princess, I could jump." (laughs) In reference to princess, of course, and it's true because she can float with her dress. Yeah, we all. It's really awesome. I can't say that I enjoyed playing them. I still like watching other people play these games. Hmm. I feel like that's weird, but I really get something more out of watching other people play games. I watch my husband play video games a lot. That's me. But I don't really enjoy it, except I really still like Donkey Kong Country, and I think it's because I can cheat at it. (laughs) (laughs) By cheat, I mean just mean like infinite lives. Yeah. But like, I also just have this muscle memory from playing it so much that I really do know how to beat certain levels. And if I don't beat it, then it only takes me like a few more chances. This time around playing a marathon session of video games yesterday was actually the first time I ever played Donkey Kong Country. Donkey Kong Country was actually the Nintendo game that I preferred to watch someone else play. So it was it was really funny like to full circle that. Well, um, come on I, over and watch me right? play it. Come on so basically you two should be married. <laughs> Mike, you're out of luck. I disagree. <laughs> um so I did enjoy our video game thon. What games did you play? I played Mario 1, 2, 3. I did enjoy playing Mario World, which I've never played before. I only Super got Super Mario I, World for the Super Nintendo. Yeah, I only did a few levels, but I thought it was actually fun. It holds up. Really it, rem- well. it reminded me of Mario 2, like the graphics, and it was very fun and cartoony, and I, I might actually go back and play that one, maybe. And we played Donkey Kong Country. Um, Did you play Zelda? I didn't. Legend of Zelda. I, yeah, I got it for the Wii, and I I had never played this all the way through from the beginning, and I am playing it again now. It's a lot of fun. It's really good. The original original? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The Nintendo, like the NES version of Zelda. Like, I had you- relatives who had... The like all the original Legend of Zelda games growing up, and that would be another one where I would like watch and play very occasionally. Uh, but once it was on the Game Boy, I really got into Zelda. Oh, and I really like playing Tetris. Yeah, yeah. Tetris I brought a Game a Boy over and we played Tetris. Yeah, Tetris and I super good. I played some Pong and, and Tetris online because you can play some Atari games for free online, like Atari.com. I've played Tetris. You know, it's sometimes it's on your phone or it's like when you're on an airplane, it's like part of the games on the back of the seat. And I really enjoy playing Tetris. <laughs> It's a, it's one of those games where your brain can just go away yeah. and you're just kind of like looking at things, but you don't have to think too hard. Well, and also like, we want to talk about like iconic soundtrack. 
Yeah. Like the, the music to Tetris. Kobe or Nikki. Like, yeah, it'll it'll never leave my mind ever. Even yeah. if I forcibly try to remember. Yeah, I loved the experience of watching Becky play these games for the first time. <laughs> it was really wow. great, you guys. I'm sad I missed it. Really the girl great. who was like into like train spotting and the shining it like in the womb <laughs> is like terrified of Mario. <laughs> <laughs> and of I'm not scared jellyfish. of Mario. I'm scared of dying and wasting my precious time. <laughs> <laughs> then don't play video games. <laughs> so one of the things I found really interesting with playing these games again is that I remembered where so many things were hidden. I don't know when the last time you guys played these games was, but I have not played them since... I was a teenager. Oh, most of the Nintendo games I hadn't played since I was a kid. Mm. And it was so funny, Chris, because like occasionally like you and I would look at each other and we'd like remember like where the where the power up was in this random brick over there that didn't look like a question mark box. Like Yeah, and it made me really mad. (laughs) (laughs) Because I now wonder how much room in my brain (laughs) is taken up by that. I don't need that information. I want to purge it from my brain. I have mm. other things I need to know. Yeah, I want to free that space up. I want to get out the childhood commercial jingles that I grew up listening to. Uh-huh. I don't think you have only so much brain space. <laughs> uh, no, I'm pretty sure that's how it Our works. minds are infinite. Well, cut that section out. I don't want it anymore. I don't need to know which bad guys I can jump on and which ones I can't. Like, Great. It's not, it's not, You're getting it's not mad useful. at that? Don't jump on the ones with spikes. It's as easy as that. I feel like delighted when in Donkey Kong I'm like I know where the warp is and I know where this thing is and where to get this gold thing but you don't like that? <laughs> no, this might be my get off my lawn episode <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> because okay, so I enjoyed playing these games for like half an hour maybe. <laughs> we were together for 7 Six hours. hours. <laughs> yeah. And then like slowly I lost interest. And then quickly you lost your mind. (laughs) (laughs) Like for a while, I was like, just like trying to beat it and just like, I have to do it again. I have to do it again. I have to do it again. And then I was like, I don't care. (laughs) And then I went and sat in a corner (laughs) and worked on something else. And it reminded me of a feeling that I did feel when I was a kid, which was kind of like, if you do too much of this, you get drained. And there's kind of this like lingering, like disappointment because you don't get anything out of video games. Like, I just feel so empty. I, like, I'm like, I didn't learn anything. Like, with a movie, like, I felt things. I have, like, emotions. And I, I feel like there's some kind of educational thing or, like, wondering Catharsis. about the craft. Yeah. With this, it's just the same thing literally over and over again. Like, the same music the entire time. Like, it changes from level to level. But, like, you can be stuck on a level forever. And it's just, like, really simple. And it just, like, makes me feel like I'm stuck and that I can't leave this room or leave this environment. Yeah, so I had I actually found myself feeling that same kind of annoyed boredom. Annoyed kind of like Yeah, annoyed him. I think part of it is that we did it in just one extenuated stretch. And also, like, most of the games that we were playing, of course, most of the games that were out in the time that we were growing up, had so much less of a story, had so much less of a narrative arc that defines the whole game and that makes them that defines the mechanics of the game in a kind of direct way. Even when in some of these Nintendo games there would be a story, the story is not so closely associated with like why you're hitting question mark boxes and getting mushrooms and flowers that make you spew fire. Like it's you do that to kill the bad guy and you win. Right, like, why do two Italian dudes from 
like the Bronx. Brooklyn. <laughs> Sorry, Brooklyn. <laughs> Why do they care about a princess in like a fantasy world? Wouldn't you? I don't care. Like I, don't I, I just. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I just like fun images, fun music, and something that isn't impossible to beat. Maybe it's challenging, but that's all I really ask for when I play a video game, which obviously isn't very often. But I don't think for those kinds of games you really need a story. There are certain video games that the story is great. Initially, those games were just about fun experiences, creating a world. I remember being really, really small and like playing in my in, in the backyard. I'd draw in chalk the question mark boxes and then I'd run around, you know, like playing <laughs> in the Mushroom Kingdom, you know, and that was that sort of world building, the fantasy world that was fun to occupy. Games as art wouldn't really happen until the Super Nintendo PlayStation era. I mean, th- there was like maybe Vector Man on Genesis or Echo the Dolphin that had some hints of story. But, like, eventually you got to your Final Fantasy Tactics, your Final Fantasy VII. Final Fantasy Tactics, I want to say, came out in 96 or 7 or so. And it is a straight-up epic. They could make a Game of Thrones series out of Final Fantasy Tactics. It's amazing. It's, like, one of the greatest video game stories of all time. But that was on PlayStation, right? But it was on PlayStation, yeah. yeah. So see, I had a Final Fantasy game for the Super Nintendo, and it was a very like 2D, turn-based role-playing game, and it bored the ever-loving shit out of me. Yeah, it was like and Final I'm Fantasy sure VI. it had an, a similarly intricate story, but again, I, I think it's not just the storytelling side of it, I think also the technology was a limiting factor, especially in on the systems that we grew up with. Yeah, because if they did have a story, it was often just, like, a few lines of text on a screen. Like, there wasn't really a very dynamic way to tell it. And I don't think I needed the story. I mean, I enjoyed being in those worlds when I was a kid, I know. But, like, now, no. <laughs> well, like, there, there, there was stuff that would get you thinking or, like, things that would surprise you. Like, the reveal at the end with Mario 2, where it's all a dream. Or, like, the big one, as a little teeny tiny kid, I never played it, but Metroid, what it ended up being that, oh my god, Samus Aran, the primary character of Metroid, was a woman. Like, that was an afterthought as they were getting this thing out. It ended up being a really huge cultural, like, moment. (laughs) So my overall takeaway from playing these games was just the frustration with having to start over and over and over again. Like, that's, I think, where my feeling that this is a waste of time kind of came from. Like, you beat the first land and the second, and you make one little mistake in a castle, and you're back where you started. And it was it just, fucking infuriating. It just yeah. felt like life, and I'm like, <laughs> now that I'm an adult, I have this experience every day where I'm just like, oh, shit, I have to start all over. Like, to me, like, life is a video game, and I don't need, like, an artificial one to also... I, I want things to go well. I want to watch a movie and not to have, like, things flying at my face or attacking yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why I use cheat codes for the games that I've completed because that's that's what's relaxing to me is winning. <laughs> um, and maybe that's not uh. what people, other people play video games for, but, like, playing these Super Mario games without save points in the middle or without a way to save your game in general, like, is frustrating and isn't relaxing. Listeners, we will be selling our winning is relaxing t-shirts on our <laughs> Facebook <laughs> So this is a good moment to launch into um, talking about The Wizard, which was basically, as I said, a 90-minute Power Glove and Super Mario 3 commercial. (laughs) We are not talking, listeners, about The Wiz, about Wizard of Oz. Or Mr. Wizard. Mr. Wizard. (laughs) 
All things that we would rather talk about. <laughs> All of them better. So The Wizard was directed by Todd Holland. He is actually a comedy director who typically works in TV. He's directed over 50 episodes of The Larry Sanders Show. Ow. And over 20 episodes of Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, okay. Wow. Actual, like, good pedigree. Yeah. Yeah, he's done a lot of, actually. Yeah, he did some 30 Rock episodes, too. Awesome. Um, it was written by David Chisholm. Uh, it stars Fred Savage, Jenny Lewis of Rilo Kiley, yeah. Bo Bridges, Christian Slater, and Luke Edwards as Jimmy, a.k.a. The Wizard. It was also Tobey Maguire's film debut. He played a member of the teenage antagonist Luke's entourage, and he had a mullet. Oh, no. He did have a mullet. It's so weird because <laughs> this kid has an entourage already. And then in one scene, Tobey Maguire just like pops up in the entourage as like an add-on. Yeah. Okay, because I read this is Toby Maguire's debut. He's in the bully's entourage, and every scene that I remember seeing, he was not in that. So apparently, he just has a walk-on. Yeah, he's on like the left in a hot pink T-shirt and a mullet. <laughs> Why did they even add an extra kid there? I don't know. I don't know. Why was a question that the makers of this film did not choose to ask? The Wizard was released December 15th, 1989. The budget was $6 million and the box office was $14 million. <laughs> So it made back the money. Did you guys see this movie when you were little? It was, again, a home-taped VHS in my domicile. Mm. I never once saw it. <laughs> I don't think any of my relatives ever saw it. <laughs> I don't even know why we had it. <laughs> I know that I saw it. I probably rented it like once, maybe twice, but it wasn't like a childhood favorite of mine. And I didn't really remember anything about it. And even watching it again, like didn't like really jog any particular memories. Mike? I didn't see it. <laughs> I have very vivid memories of watching this movie in the theaters, I think with my cousins. Um, and I remember we went to McDonald's after, like I remember a lot. I remember being really really pumped about seeing super mario 3 and i don't know if i knew that we would see some super mario 3 but when that scene happened at the end at video armageddon i remember the whole audience was like because it was a big thing like apparently like that was the first american audiences were seeing super mario brothers 3 it was a big deal oh my god i remember everyone being like whoa and I was like 1989 I was like six and I didn't even fucking play these games but I knew of them like because of my sister and watching them and I was like oh my god look it's so cool yeah I remember also that him saying the word California over and over maybe is why I live here now <laughs> is that one I think it was one of the few was that things the siren song it was one of them but I remember he was obsessed with California and that was just like in my head for a while well, thank you, Luke Edwards, or whatever you said. Wow. Wow. <laughs> California. Um, so we all watched this movie. I watched it with Mike, but the rest of us watched it separately. So what'd you think? <laughs> Why did we watch this movie, guys? Okay, <laughs> I'm going to say that because I Because it brought Becky to California. <laughs> I'm going to say that I was on board of this movie for like 10 minutes. <laughs> Like, I was fully like, oh, wow, like, they're half-siblings, and I haven't seen this kind of relationship in a movie, and, oh, he's, like, autistic, and they're kind of going to explore that. <laughs> like, I didn't remember a lot besides Video Armageddon in California. I didn't remember anything else. So for a while, I was like, maybe this will be, like, a surprising movie where it's, like, got heart and blah, blah, blah. The second the... um Dog catcher. 
<laughs> the bounty hunter for kidnapped children appears Jesus on screen. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm an expert at bringing little kids back home because there's a market for that. <laughs> I go out and not I, a grab. Job. I can kids. pay my rent based on finding lost children. Yeah, he says, I make my money by bringing back kids. If someone finds them first, I don't get paid. Isn't that the job of a detective? <laughs> like, who works for the police? Sure. <laughs> like, but also, let's not gloss over the fact this character is not only a, a thorough piece of shit, <laughs> he is so thorough. unrealistic. He is grabbing kids and saying, I hate you. It's horrible. It's horrible. He's, he's, he's the least... Like, we're supposed to hate him and root against him, but he's so... Not only is he bad at his job and also good at his job at the same time. <laughs> I didn't just hate the character. It made me hate the movie that he was in the movie. Yeah, yeah that's he, when it all went downhill. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was like, oh, it could be really interesting that you explore, like, oh, an autistic child expresses himself through video games. And then he, like, you know, it could be a family movie with, like, he wins the respect of his parents or blah, blah, blah by winning this thing. And it's like, oh, he might be autistic, but, like, he can do great things. And But no, the movie doesn't no, really, the movie doesn't, doesn't really have the video games in it. I found it really funny that Bo Bridges cannot uh, mime playing a video game for shit. <laughs> he was like moving his hands like, whoa! Like the controller is vibrating and he can't control it. Well, there's a lot of overacting in this movie. We, Bo Bridges playing video games is one of them, but the game show host is like oh, way over the top. Let's he just go is there. coked up. Yeah. He's, He's 100% so on cocaine. Wow. Ladies, gentlemen, children, siblings, animals. This is the day that our three contestants in 15 minutes will fight for 50,000 smackaroos! The registration guy when he's even like going oh in on yes. yes, the registration. Jesus Christ. Like, who doesn't need to be in there at all? But it's for some Ninja reason. Gaiden, guys. But if you get in there, <laughs> and you then the, get the guy who I call a kidnapper, even though he's technically the opposite of a kidnapper because he's trying to. <laughs> he is a kidnapper. But he's both at the same time. <laughs> he is, though. He Let's is also honest. an overactor. So, a little bit of trivia that actor is Will Seltzer. He was the runner up to play Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Whoa! So, runner up, runner we up. almost had an entirely different universe. Dodged a bullet, Do you like George him more because he was second place, Mike? No! <laughs> he was the Luigi of Star Wars. No. <laughs> this movie was crazy. Like, it lost all goodwill points in the very first 10 minutes very quickly. Yeah, and honestly, I felt like Jenny Lewis was the closest thing to an interesting... Oh, I thought she was awful. Oh, really? They're yeah. all kind of They're bad. all kind of awful. I mean, Fred Savage I like on The Wonder Years. They're all kind of awful, yeah. But like, yeah, just something about the way the kids were directed wasn't great. And I didn't understand why the autistic kid was supposedly the main character like whether he was intended to be the main character of the movie or whether fred savage who was obviously the main character in the movie was actually intended to be like it seemed like there was a draft of the the this movie where well it's basically rain man yeah it's (laughs) exactly exactly and rain man had come out the year before this so i think that that was a very direct influence and so fred (laughs) savage is tom cruise and luke edwards is dustin hoffman Rain Boy. Can you explain to me how everybody in the movie is related? Because I was very confused. Fred Savage and Christian Slater are brothers. Got that. 
their dad is Bo Bridges, but then Bo Bridges is also the father of Jimmy, the autistic kid. But then he's divorced from Jimmy's mom, but Jimmy's mom is married to another guy who's also his dad and has like power of like what happens to him. But like they call. I feel like you just perfectly explained (laughs) that better than the movie did. Right. (laughs) But Fred Savage says that's our half brother. So, so is that other guy and the mom? Like, I guess I'm confused about like how are these people are related. So I was thinking (laughs) because if that if they if the Bo Bridges used to be with the woman, then they're all just brothers. But he says they're that's our half brother. But Bo Bridges is their dad and is the. Kid's dad, right? This is why it's I think, confusing. I think Bo Bridges is the bio dad to all of them. I don't think that one mother was the biological mother to all those children. That's why it's a half. <laughs> this is why it's confusing. Then where's the mom that is the actual mom to do? <laughs> this is why I'm so confused. This is really a movie about genealogy and not about video games. <laughs> it's one of so many reasons it fails. It also doesn't make like a lot of sense why it's even a half brother instead of just like why are, why aren't they all just brothers? Why yeah, are they all just brothers? And well, then that's like a stepdad. And that's part of the reason right. the movie fell apart really quickly for me is because it kept introducing these wrinkles to the story and these characters that had nothing to do with the story that was actually being told and never paid off. Another big question I had was okay, this giant video Armageddon video game competition. Huge thing. A lot of people know about it. They even encounter one on the way to California. When he gets there, it just seems like kids are just walking up and playing a game. This seems like the kind of thing where you would have to register months in advance. The grand prize is $10,000? No, like 50? 50,000? I think it was like 50. Yeah. Yeah, so so he just he just <laughs> You can shows buy a DeLorean up. with this. Money. He just shows up to Universal Studios, just shows up, plays one game, and then they pick the three finalists to play the second round, which is Super Mario 3. This So this video game competition lasts less than an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and he literally only beats one game, and then he goes on to the finals. So I'm just like, wh- shouldn't there have been like a montage of him beating like tons of different games, and you see like, oh, there's this game, and there's that game, and he's amazing at this, and he's amazing at that, and wow, the crowd is going wild for this kid who's beating everybody. But it's not even like he 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 beat the games; he got a high score, right. and it's like an era when like right. scores in video games actually meant something. Well, but no, they so- did not in these games. Not like, in these games. No one plays Super Mario Three for score. Like no. maybe but they play the Tetris for score part. or something. Well, but, but not- they kept playing these games that are console games, but they're playing them in like an arcade competition situation. It, like none of it made any With sense. With no. screaming, coked so out host. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and it doesn't make sense. Like they're playing like for an audience, but like. The screens are pretty small, and like, why like are they playing kids. each other? Yeah, there's like ten kids at a time playing, so they're all little screens. Nobody, who, what the fuck do the hundreds of kids in the audience? What are they looking at? Where are their parents? Where are <laughs> they? They're, they're looking like, at the release of <laughs> Super Mario Bros. They've story. all, all of these children have been kidnapped by that freaky dog catcher guy, <laughs> and he's brought them all to this one place to go head to head to see who lives. One uh, thing we need to talk about is the power glove. Oh, <laughs> power glove. I didn't remember the power glove was in this movie i just thought it was all about super mario 3 but there's a moment where the bad guy like the competitor <laughs> lucas kid lucas third hair he shows how badass he is by the fact that he owns a power glove and he's like look at me driving with it Ooh, and then it ends the scene with i love the power glove it's so bad 
love the power glove. It's so bad. And then I said, "Yes, it is." Because it was a it was a failure, right? It was okay. I got a power glove <laughs> from a yard sale in, I want to say, 1992. This is a sad story. Yeah, <laughs> it gets worse. Well, because, like, and not, and I, I have my Nintendo. I'm so excited. I find a power glove. I'm like, you guys are insane because they were asking for, like, five bucks, which in 1992 money was about $20. And I bring it home. I try it out. And the power glove is... <laughs> The defining failure of the Nintendo era. You can't do anything with a power glove. It is supposed to be a controller. It was, it was supposed to propel you into the future. <laughs> and like you're just sitting there with an asshole reaching into space, thinking that you're controlling Mario. Nothing's happening. It doesn't work. And you were lied to as a child. Maybe that's why you got it in a yard sale. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Didn't think about that at the time because I was not yet cynical. I feel like you're really railing against yard sales here. <laughs> I, I'm railing against the power glove. No, but it really was like... It doesn't work. People didn't like it because it really only worked for two games. And so it's like, what else am I going to do with this really expensive thing? So there were a ton of accessories that Nintendo has released, really for all of its systems throughout the years, that are meant to pair with certain games and place you more into the experience of playing the game. Yeah, like the light gun from Duck Hunt. Perfect exactly. Example. It, was, it works for Duck Hunt. And originally came with the system, as did there was a running pad that they used for like a dancing game and for a racing game. Wait, a dance dance revolution of its time? Yeah, it was, yeah. Weirdly enough, huh. and the pad weirdly was like, had like, uh, I think it had like 12 different pad buttons on it. Hmm. But again, these would only be paired with like one or two games, and a lot of times the games were awful. Um, so I never experienced the glory of the power glove. I never got to reach into space to control Mario or whatever that was. Uh, I only coveted it in the pages of Nintendo Power uh, because, of course, they would advertise it similarly to <laughs> Lucas in this movie where it seems like this portal opening time traveling future device. Um but yeah, it's it's just so funny because you see how much they're trying to, and by extension Nintendo, are trying to sell this thing as though it makes you a total badass. The Wizard was such, it, it was a commercial. It was a 90 minute commercial. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah, the setup of this movie is weird because you would think that the kid would be playing video games a lot. Like that's <laughs> that's the point of the story. But instead, like they find out randomly in like a diner or something or a train station and it's like he's never played before and he just is all of a sudden amazing. But like, why isn't the story that he's been playing video games for like years ever since his sister died? Yeah. And then like maybe Fred Savage is the one that's like recognizes right. the talent. There's a weird thing with him building blocks and somehow that's supposed to translate to I'm going to be good at video games. Yeah. And so this magical girl shows up and she like suddenly like knows everything. Kylie. <laughs> yeah. Ms. It Hello. is weird. I mean, for one, she has terrible hair, but <laughs> <laughs> it's 
She's a child. <laughs> she's a child, but she's written kind of like an adult woman. Who's friends with, like, truckers. Yeah. She's like a manic pixie dream child. Yeah, I actually have that literally written in my notes. <laughs> yeah. Yahtzee! But she, like, magically knows the solution, like, every the way out of everything. She's It's her random idea to have the kid go to this thing, and she just, like, happens to be like, here's the contest! And it's, like, they are in, like, a diner in the middle of nowhere, which apparently, like, everyone stops at the same diners. There's one road across the United States, <laughs> and everyone you know stops at all of the same places along the way. In 1980, yeah, that's probably true. Christian Slater was a jarring presence in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Because he doesn't look any different. No, he looks the same. He looks very Identical. Christian Slatery. This was the same year as Heather's. What? So this was probably the year that he became a star. And I'm not sure if this movie, like maybe he was signed on to do this before Heather's was a big hit. So, (laughs) uh, Future episode. Because like he he has, even the character has no business. Like Fred Savage is the older brother character. So why is there (laughs) another older brother character on a road trip with the dad? That didn't need to happen. Like that's a whole. Why do they even need another antagonist with the kidnapper guy or or anti-kidnapper kidnapper kidnapper. (laughs) and like with him like slashing the dad's tires like what the fuck was that about like an investigator competing for the discovery of a child against the child's father (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) right so i mean i guess the point of this movie was Video games, right? (laughs) You say that. It's a Western road movie, which has nothing to do with video games. And, like, is typically, like, somewhere where you would not even find video games, like, on a road trip. At least if he was, like, a city kid, they could be in, like, New York and encounter video game-like things and stores where video games are sold. So the director of this movie actually was not a fan of video games. Uh. (laughs) He was... really not a fan like against video games well he just didn't care and oh, i think okay. that's kind of apparent because like he, he doesn't don't see video games in, the, yeah. in this movie <laughs> and when you do they're lame it's like the first level of mario 3 that they're playing it's like that's not something that i feel like is worth fifty thousand okay. dollars also yeah. and the oh, yeah. nes <laughs> version of teenage mutant ninja turtles is terrible Features very few of the characters from the comic books or the TV show and is infuriating and I hate it and I resent its existence. And they're playing it lovingly in the yeah, movie. Like, wow, so wow, what a game. Yeah. Ebert actually pointed out in his review that there was a mistake made regarding the Teenage Mutant <laughs> Ninja Turtles video game That's where good. they say that they're like on level two, but it's level three. That's like every level of any video game. And yeah, anytime they are in they're playing Super Mario 2 in the background. They're always Mario. And I'm just like, no one's Mario. No one plays Mario. No one plays no. Mario. The first cut of this movie was two and a half hours long. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> and Nintendo was actually very hands-off with it. They didn't even, like, push the power glove. Like, that was, like, organic to, the, like, the filmmaking process. They were like, oh, let's put this in there. Yeah, and how unnatural did that feel when you were watching it? Because very. that's probably as unnatural as the people like me and Seth looking at Ready Player One going like, here's all these things that you love. It's so cool, right? It's cool and you love it. No, Mike, it's so bad. No, it, it is so bad. It's like, I remember seeing a... Um, uh, uh, a video on the internet recently about why Mario and Sonic felt so different. Like, we haven't really talked much about the Genesis stuff, but, like, Sonic the Hedgehog was a huge, huge deal. You know, there was a TV show. He was his own cultural thing. But Sonic didn't really hold up in the same way that Mario did because Mario was all about fun and Sonic was all about cool. 
and like Sonic was like speaking to like yeah the cool stuff you did at the time and like he runs fast and he's rad but like what is hip today might become cliche yeah as the cool song does age well no no not <laughs> especially at all. not Sonic type like cool. David yeah. Bowie will forever be cool but he is a he is a very rare exception I am wondering how Lucas avoided being a teen heartthrob. <laughs> he was very heartthrobby. He was, but, but he, he wasn't was really in very much else. Well, yeah, but and some girls go for that. He could have been like the Brad Renfro. But I think he wasn't mm. even compelling enough on his own merits to make that happen. I mean, he was my favorite part of this movie. <laughs> he held the power glove. The dreamy it. boy. <laughs> And the movie also ends with a climax at Universal Studios, which is very much not about video games either. And then all of a sudden, like, it's King Kong and I think the Backdraft ride oh, or something. Oh, because I think Universal Studios was also, like, sponsoring part of this movie because <laughs> of they had just opened in California. Did you notice that there was, like, a knockoff Mickey Mouse costume guy in Universal Studios in this movie? Yeah. <laughs> it was that really, was like, warped-looking. It looked was like... he a real character? I saw Woody the Woodpecker at some point. There was, a, there was I swear to God, a Mickey... It was a mouse with red shorts, but it wasn't Mickey. It looked like it was, like, a Mexican knockoff. <laughs> I'm Marky the Moose. <laughs> Hello, Morky. <laughs> From, like, off-screen, you hear someone yeah. say So there was a line in that Universal Studios sequence where a kid says, I like Disneyland better, and Universal made him cut it out. (laughs) Yeah, you think? Uh. (laughs) So, yeah, there were a few video game movies in the 80s, like, leading up to this. There was War Games, Tron, The Last Starfighter, and those were all more, like, adventure stories. And then this was the first one, I think, that was really just about, like, watching people play video games. But not even! But you but like, for a bit, yeah. (laughs) Which is a lot less exciting than actually, like, caring about the stakes of What's going on? Which, without getting too into it, Last Starfighter totally holds up. I love it. It's amazing. Well, we probably should have watched that. <laughs> <laughs> and this movie is just like a kind of irresponsible message. I don't know if he's autistic. He has PTSD and he's autistic or he just has PTSD. Yeah, I don't know. But Who knows? winning Super Mario 3 is what gets him over it. So it's yeah. weird. <sighs> Great messages about the issues that young people struggle through. And also defeating a kidnapper slash bounty hunter slash molester complete creep show. If you believe in yourself, you too can defeat a middle-aged loser that finds children for money. (laughs) (laughs) So we played these old school games, but obviously video games have, you know, changed over the years and they've become a lot more complex. Mike plays a lot of video games now. I wanted to just touch on what kinds of games are out now and just the evolution that has taken place over the last decades. Well, I mean, like, even going from Mario 1 to Mario 2, huge leap. You know, graphics, music. Mario 2 to Mario 3, another huge leap. Like, Mario 3 to Super Mario World, enormous. And that's only the space of, like, three years worth of difference. The acceleration that games took in their development uh, between, like, right at the beginning of the 90s through, like, 1996 or so was astounding. Like, you start, I think Resident Evil came out in, I want to say, 96. 
like basically the first horror video game which is still a landmark like they keep re-releasing resident evil spawned a series of movies which are garbage skip the movies but like you can find the original like on the wii store or i think they re-released it for i have it on xbox one actually and it's still fun it's still actually scary but like the real interesting conversation starts when you start talking about video games as art for a really really long time it was dismissed as like it's 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 a hobby for children it's nothing serious people don't consider video games as art and then i would say like final fantasy 7 final fantasy tactics eventually shadow of the colossus Shadow of the Colossus is a complete landmark. Like, Super Mario 64 and Ocarina of Time are masterpieces. Even Mario 3 is a masterpiece of video game design. Mario 1, masterpiece of video game design. But, like, video games as art, like, really took off in, like, the PlayStation, PlayStation 2 era. Shadow of the Colossus, where the object is never really explained to you. You're just told, you know what, go out and kill these 16 creatures that exist in this land... And this force is basically taking advantage of you. Um, and you, this awkward 17-year-old kid with a sword and a horse and a cross and a, and a, and a bow and arrow, needs to take down these creatures that are literally the size of skyscrapers. And, like, the sense of awe that you felt in 2006 when you were playing Shadow of the Colossus is something that I still, like, it still gives me chills. It is a transcendent piece of art shadow of the colossus he works for shadow of the colossus <laughs> yes buy shadow of the colossus tomorrow it, it's wonderful um but i mean like yeah then you, you get stuff like video games with story like the 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 um final fantasy 6 and on um had these incredible stories um and just to like briefly expound on that there are often video game titles released where teams of screenwriters are hired to write not just a hundred pages of dialogue to write a hundred hours of dialogue for the characters that go into just one game. Yeah. You get into some of the, the more recent uh, RPGs like the Witcher three, like the Witcher is based on a book. They made three sequels of it. And the Witcher three is, is considered one of the finest games of the Xbox one era. You have literally hundreds of hours of dialogue and gameplay with fully realized characters that would stand out on their own in any medium, you know, specifically the Witcher, or I would say like uh, dragon age and inquisition, star Wars, Knights of the old Republic, like uh, Psychonauts, one of the earlier, uh, like the Tim Schafer games are amazing. Like the LucasArts stuff, Maniac Mansion. I played all that stuff. Yeah, Curse of Monkey Island. Curse of Monkey Island is still funny. Like those games are st- like. Hold but those up aren't so really well. video games to me. Those They're are, totally those are video are games. Computer games to me. A computer game is a video game. <laughs> I guess on yeah. a different kind of console. Well, and I and I, but I think that brings up an important consideration of it is because a big part of what Mike is talking about is the technological evolution as even the consoles moved toward instead of having a cartridge as your storage medium, you had DVDs and CDs and eventually Blu-rays, and like you had the space and also the technological capacity to tell stories that are a lot bigger, but then also just to do things that are graphically a lot more complex. When also the internet enabled like people to play each other in different locations. And I think yeah. that was a real game changer too. Like for me, Nintendo was mostly a social thing. Like I would play it with friends. Split it was kind of like a common language that you shared with other kids. Cause like pretty much every other little boy would know Nintendo and like you could always have someone over to play Mario and everyone, you know, knew what to do. Then you get to like something like 
Bioshock. I and never got like, <laughs> Bioshock confronting your, like, uh, teaching you about philosophy and then turning all of that on its head. Having kind of stopped being a routine gamer, I don't keep up with the technological trends of it. Uh, I, like, enjoy watching people play sometimes, but once I realized in my own life development that I had used video gaming as a way to kind of isolate and, like, be alone, I stopped gaming nearly as regularly. And I do wonder how different it would be if the consoles that I had growing up were, like, internet connected. Because, like, in high school, like, the internet really did become a tremendous outlet for me that I had not had anywhere in my life before. Um, And the idea that I might have been able to, like, you know, play my Game Boy games or something online with people, that would have been very different. And I don't think I would have, like, stopped gaming in the way that I kind of did. Yeah, we finally got an N64, and that was my last foray into gaming. And Mostly it was Mario Kart, but like me and my sister used to play that. And that was actually like probably one of the only things we actually like did together as teenagers because we, you know, we're two and a half years apart. And what else are you going to do? Like you don't have a lot in common. So guys, after this podcast, do you think that you would play video games again? Mike says yes. Mike says that is likely tonight. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and again, of course, like my... My relationship to it is different now, but I still, you know, I have Tetris on my phone and have found myself playing it a lot recently. Um, And yeah, I loved, you know, bringing my Nintendo 64 over to your place and, you know, wiggling the cartridge until it finally (laughs) turned on correctly. Blowing on it? Yeah, no, there's, there's something... I love about the tangible physical experience of yeah. of gaming like with a system and a console like that. Cartridges versus CDs or DVDs is so much more satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. Chris? Uh no, I wouldn't play video games again. I <laughs> would be happy to never play another video game. <laughs> Bury them in the pit with in the my ET life, game. <laughs> which I mean it isn't super surprising because I Typically, I'm not a person to play them, but I was kind of surprised at how quickly they soured for me after, like, the original nostalgia factor. I don't know. I feel like even if they are art, it's so many hours versus so little art compared to, like, a movie or, you know, any other artistic medium that I would so much rather watch a movie or do anything else. You know, I think that time, kind of like Seth said, was taken up by, like, being creative myself instead of just kind of passively going through this imaginary world world is I like eventually learned to like kind of create my own and that was so much more satisfying for me that I never went back. I can imagine myself playing Donkey Kong Country maybe a little just to kind of re-experience that because for this I only got a few levels in so I think that I would like to finish the game and I've played some computer games recently and I would like to continue revisiting those like Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis and Day of the Tentacle and Monkey Island that my dear husband purchased for me on our Xbox so I can play it on the big TV. But yeah, so I think that is our video game podcast. So thanks so much, Mike, for coming and uh, talking and talking about video games. I'm an expert. (laughs) That's why I invited you. I mean, he would have just been at home saying the exact same things to himself, right? Yeah. And that was all the bleeping and blooping we have time for on this episode of When We Were Young. On the next episode of our podcast... Slam it to the left, shake it to the right, something to the front. Hi, see ya, tight. We're going to be taking a look back at the Spice Girls. Um, that's three albums, but really just the singles. So get, get started. Get your girl power ready. Spice up your life with all the singles by the Spice Girls. 
Mike, I want to point out briefly before we go that you are not just in a band, Countless Thousands, but you're also on loan from your own podcast. Yes, this is Michael Danger Van Gorder of the Unpops Network and the Misfortune Podcast. Check us out on iTunes. Please listen to Countless Thousands at countlessthousands.bandcamp.com. We're a very good punk rock band. And join your local tenants union, because that's the other thing I'm working on. And this has been the When We Were Young podcast, which is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed our audiophonic adventure together, please subscribe to us on iTunes and please leave us your finest review of five stars or more. You can also follow us on all the social medias from Facebook to Twitter. I have been Seth Pearson. I'm Becky. I'm Mike. And I'm so bad.